Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Glad you could all be here tonight. Pastor Dan, for the opportunity to share with you tonight. I'm really excited to share the message that God's given. Um, my name is Jamie. I think Dan's mentioned me a few times in here. Just to clarify, um, so my given name is Jamie. I, I do hate being called James because that's not my name. I think Dan told you that. It's, I'm not really sure how Pastor Dan knew that, but I must have told him at some point. Um, let's see, what was the other one? My idea of a good time is going out to American Family Field with my scorebook and scoring the game. I really enjoy that a lot. And then, yes, from last week, uh, the only organized sport my kids play is baseball because that's, of course, the best sport, so why wouldn't they play that? So there you go. All right, good deal. And my other question is why are we not outside tonight, right? Come on. I suppose it's a little muddy, but, um, but why don't we, before we get started, why don't we open in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this night. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that applies it to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that as we come into your presence tonight, as we've worshiped and we've thanked you for all that you've done, Lord, we pray that you would um, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we're open to whatever you want to do. I pray that we would be open to conviction, that we would be open to change, Lord, that we would hear your voice clearly, that we would feel your love through these words on these pages, Lord. We give you glory for everything you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're sharing from the book of Luke, continuing now on the Sermon on the Plain. And just a little quick background on Luke. I mentioned this morning, uh, you know, it's really interesting. <laughs> and I, when, I, when I don't think about it and someone were to ask me, um, I don't know how many are like this, like, who are the 12 disciples? And I'm just trying to name them off the top of my head. I would say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then I'd go on, Luke was not a disciple. All right, everybody know that? Luke was not a disciple. He was an apostle. He came later on, right? And Luke was known as a doctor, Dr. Luke. And he was also his, an historian. So he really enjoyed um, history. He enjoyed writing down history. He was really, really good at it. He traveled with the apostle Paul. And when he was writing all these things and taking all these things into account, uh, he wrote a history of what Jesus did here on earth that blended right into the book of Acts. Uh, now, specifically, as with most, in the, most authors in the Bible, and one of the beautiful parts of the Bible, is that they're written by individuals, the books. They're written from a perspective, and Luke is written from a perspective. Luke is the only one who wrote in the Gospels that we know was a Gentile. He was writing to the Gentiles under, in, in Rome that were under Roman occupation, and they were trying to figure and make themselves Make, make their way in a world of Roman occupation, figuring out what it's like to live as a Christian uh, under Roman rule. And then, of course, we know later on after this was written, he, they actually would be able to apply this much more to their lives and their hearts because Nero would come into the picture and they would undergo great persecution as well under the Roman Empire. But Luke speaks extensively in the book of Luke in a theme that we'll see and we've seen last week and we'll continue to see about a great reversal of the way of thinking. So you'll see in many of the Gospels when Jesus starts talking, the people are expecting a certain thing, and Jesus gives them something completely the opposite. Jesus will turn it on its head, and when we speak specifically about the passage we're going to be talking about tonight, you'll see that very, very clearly. The last become first, the first become last, the proud become low, the humble exalted. 
And if we're casting the book of Luke for a play, like if we had a musical tonight and we were just bringing in all the parts and casting the main parts for a play or a musical tonight based on the book of Luke, some of the major characters in his gospel would be the poor, they'd be the tax collectors, they'd be the outcasts, they'd be sinners, women, Samaritans, and Gentiles. And then Luke also emphasizes the danger of riches, right? Luke is for the outcast. And so he's not making anything up. He's quoting it exactly as it happened, but he's placing placing certain emphasis on parts of Jesus' ministry that he wants to convey in his message to the Gentiles of the time. So we're going to be continuing this week on the blessings and the woes. And originally, um, Pastor Dan had just given me the woes, and I was really sad. I'm like, oh, it's going to be such a letdown. You get to give the blessings, and then I have to get the woes. But Dan did uh, an intro, so I'm blessed to be able to do both of them. So we're going to do the blessings and the woes. And they fit actually really well together, and you'll see this because you'll recognize some of them from the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, um, but they fit very well together. There's a section on the blessings, there's a section on the woes, and they flow very nicely together. And we're going to start out tonight by reading that. So if you turn in your Bibles with me, or on your phones, or wherever it is, to Luke chapter 6, we're going to read those together. Luke chapter 6 and verses 20 through 26. Luke chapter 6, 20 through 26. And it says, And he, and Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now listen to this next section then and how it closely parallels what we just read um, in the first section. Jesus pronounces woes would be kind of the heading you might see in your Bible here, starting with verse 24 and through 26. But woe to you who are rich. For you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You can see why I didn't want just the woes. We have the blessings and the woes. So we're going to be talking about both of those. Let's talk about those two words, first of all. So that first section, you saw everything starting with blessed. Jesus is saying, if you do these things and you live this way, if this is the kind of person you are, you are blessed. What does blessed mean? Blessed would mean fortunate or happy, but not in the way that would be temporary that we would think of, that, well, today um, I was happy that something happened. Sometimes we, if we just rely on temporary fortune or happiness, um, we go up and down throughout the day, right? So now I'm happy, but then something happens, and now I'm sad. And now something happens, and I'm impatient, I'm angry, but now I'm happy again, right? We kind of run that roller coaster. Blessed means something so much more than that. Not shallow, not temporary, but deep and enduring. It's joy that doesn't change based on your circumstances. So Jesus is saying here that blessed, what I mean by blessed, is that this will change who you are, your very essence. This will bring you joy that perseveres through any trial. And we obviously just talked about trials. Through any trial, through any circumstance, this is how you find real, true joy. And then in that second section, we saw the woes. So what does woe mean in this context? Uh, woe meaning in this text is, um, I've heard it said, alas, or if it makes a little bit more sense, or almost like an oh no with an exclamation point. Like woe to you, like oh no, this is serious. This is a very, very big deal. It signifies impending doom and the wrath of God. So when Jesus says woe to you, 
as we read this, let's understand that he is very, very serious about what he's saying. He's not saying, eh, it might be better for you to be this way, but if you're this way, eh, it might not go great for you. No, he is saying, woe to you if you are this, right? It signifies impending doom and the wrath of God. Jesus' question for the disciples then and for you today, do you want to be, and let's think of it this way, do you want to be supremely happy or do you want to be supremely miserable, right? He's laying it out. Do you want to be supremely joyful or do you want to be supremely miserable? And it sounds a little bit like maybe a self-help book that we would see at Barnes & Noble, but this self-help book, if you call it that, that Jesus is writing here, that he's speaking, wouldn't sell many copies because what he's about to say when he tells these things to his disciples is completely the opposite of what many would expect. It goes completely against what we're taught in our culture. It goes completely against our sinful nature. Jesus was comforting those who were discouraged and not seeing success in life, but his answers were not what you'd find in a typical self-help book, right? So we, Pastor Dan asked three questions last week when we were looking at John chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Plain. His first one was, what is Jesus about to do? And then these next two we're going to focus very heavily on tonight. Number two, what will Jesus' kingdom be like? What will Jesus' kingdom be like? And number three, how do I join in? How do I be part of that kingdom? Um, These disciples, these people, these crowds followed him. And I love the context of these verses where the people are eager. They just want to be around Jesus. They're desperate for a touch. They just want anything. They're following him at all costs to hear what he has to say, hanging on his every word. And Jesus is speaking truth and life into them. It's the Holy Spirit that makes these changes in our hearts, right? This is not Jesus saying, you'll be blessed if you do or are these things, right? He's saying, my blessing rests on this kind of person. This is who you are to your essence and to your core. And if we look at those things that Wheat says we're going to be blessed if we are, they're really hard to come up with on our own. That's why I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit's been given to us, that Jesus told us that something even better than me to have with you is coming. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit's going to guide your heart, and he's going to change you from the inside out. So as we look at these, this is not about like, hey, let's form these new habits, let's have this new kind of willpower, let's do these things, and everything will be fine. The only way to true transformation is through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's not a list of doing, it's a list of being. And then to start it off, again, dramatically, Luke is setting the scene here, and he's spelling it out. He's, he's letting you know that something great is coming. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, and then he begins to say, imagine you're the hearer today. Jesus was teaching the people a new way of seeing things and a new way to live. So I want to ask you as we're going through this, And as we talk about each of these blessings and these woes, ask yourself tonight, where am I on this scale right now? Where am I? Would Jesus say that the way I live my life and the way I think and the way I go about my days that I am blessed? Or would he say, woe to you for the path that you're on? You're on the wrong track. You're reliant upon the wrong things. Where am I on the scale? What's my current state? And then what does Jesus tell me should be my destination? For each of these, we're going to talk about that. So in each of these sections, I'm going to kind of lay out a little phrase for it as we get into it. And I'm going to read the verses side by side, the blessing and the woes. And the first thing I think Jesus says here in this passage on the Sermon on the Plain is to practice earthly bankruptcy. To practice earthly bankruptcy. Now, I'm not telling you all to go into debt and claim bankruptcy, right? It's a, it's a, it's a way of speaking a little bit. But he's truly saying that when it comes to the things of this world, that money should not be what we're relying upon. Let me compare the two verses here. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. 
He says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then later on in verse 24, see the parallel, but woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Blessed are you who are poor, woe to you who are rich. Very serious thing to say here. But does that mean throw caution to the wind, bring yourself into debt, not pay your bills? Of course not. But what place, he's asking, does money have in your heart today? What place does money have in your heart? You know, I've known people with a lot of money who have been among the most generous people that I have ever met. I've also known people who had hardly anything that were the absolute least generous people that I've ever met. I've met people who have a lot of money who you can see love money, and I've met a lot of people who don't have money who also love money. It doesn't come down to your bank account. It comes down to the state of your heart. It could also be said, blessed are those of you who are poor in material things, right, and then who are also my disciples, So you're poor in material things, but you're also my disciples, and thus putting your trust in God, and there is the key. There is the key. Your trust not in money, but the trust in God. It's not so much about the amount in your bank account as your state of mind and what you truly treasure. I'm going to share a couple of stories tonight. Uh, Those of you that have been in my Sunday school class before have heard these, and I think you'll like hearing them again. But my wife and I, my wife Joy and I, in uh, fall of 2019, got to go on a reach team trip to the Congo. It's not the Congo. Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa. Um, And it was a life-changing experience for us. There's so many stories I have about this. I have a couple I'm going to share with you tonight. Um, One of them in particular, when we were there in Congo, we went out to these villages. So there was a main city, Lubumbashi, that we stayed in, and that there were villages that were a long ways off that were very, very hard to get to. It's not like people were traveling back and forth between them frequently. These were villages out in the middle of nowhere, and the people that were there had no way of getting other places. So they were kind of just landlocked right in place. And so you can imagine they only had what was there. They had no transportation. There were like a couple of big hospitals around the area, and they take hours and hours to get to. So these people really had no medical care except for what they could provide for themselves. And one day we had um, what was a health clinic. And so one of the big churches in Lubumbashi brought together some itinerant doctors and different things like that, some people who were experienced in healthcare, and took them to this remote village, and we went with them, and we put on a health clinic for these people. We're going to have a video in just a second. I'm going to have Kathy put it up. Um, but I was so moved by this, what I saw. I got there, and there were lines of people, not only from this particular village, but from villages very far away, people who had walked with their families hours to get there because they had heard that there was going to be a health clinic there, and themselves or their kids or loved ones were sick or had something wrong with them and had no options for health care. And the doctors set up shop there, and it was, of course, just what they could put together. So there were no wonderful machines. They couldn't do MRIs. You know, they couldn't do x-rays, things like that. There were some prescription medication that they could offer. Maybe somebody had an infection. They could offer antibiotics. And there was a roofed area kind of in the middle of it there where uh, tons and tons, so many people, hundreds of people congregated as they were kind of in queue to meet with someone that could help them with whatever is wrong. And imagine a scene of... Mothers and fathers sitting there with kids in their laps, feeling sick themselves, having some kind of ailment, hoping that somehow uh, they're going to get in touch with someone here who's in some way going to be able to help them. And when I immediately saw it, my heart just sank. I was so sad because I knew the circumstances and I knew the situation. And I said, Lord, what? This, This must be such desperation that these people have in this moment. And then this guy named Levert, he was a worship leader at the, uh, at the church that we had been working with. 
and he comes out of nowhere and has his guitar case, and he takes his acoustic guitar and he throws it over his neck, and he walks over under this roof and he starts playing, and he starts singing these songs of worship, and this place with all these people, with their kids and their sick kids and their family, just starts lighting up with praise and just singing. And uh, I get emotional just thinking about it right now because I, in that moment, was like, this is a moment. This, this broke me in so many ways as I'm seeing this happen. And the video doesn't even do it justice that you're about to see, but I saw people praising God. And you're going to hear what you're going to hear. They're going to be singing. The, one of the things you'll hear is it's Swahili, and you'll hear Asante Sana. You may be familiar with that phrase. It's thank you very, very much. Thank you so, so much. They're thanking the Lord. They're singing, thank you, Lord, so, so much. For all that you've given me, thank you, Lord, so, so much for how much you've blessed me. Kathy, will you play that really quick for us? Amen. And you can hear them. This went on for hours. They're crying out. You can hear the cheering in between. And they're cheering and they're saying, thank you, Lord. He's been so good. And Laverde is saying, isn't God good? Yes, God is so, so good. And I was so moved by this and them in this desperate hour, right? And they're praising God and they're telling anybody that'll hear how good God has been, for, been to them. I was moved by it, but there was also, see, a part of me that felt sad. And you know why I felt sad? Because I couldn't feel what they felt, I couldn't truly feel what they felt. And there was this conviction that hit me in that moment that knew that when, when I got home, I wouldn't be able to feel that level of thanks and that level of dependence because when I got hungry, I could go a few blocks down and go to Meyer and pick up whatever I wanted and eat whatever I want. I could go in my own fridge. When I was hungry, I could satisfy that. I was totally good. If one of my kids woke up with an ear infection, I could head down to urgent care immediately, right away, get something for them, an antibiotic to fix it. They'd be feeling better, just like nothing, problem solved. And then I'd also complain about the line, right, that I was in and how long it was to get seen. And I realized when I was sitting there that I couldn't feel what they felt. And one of the keys to this is we're going to be talking through this is that we Americans sometimes, right, and we have to realize this as Christians, and as I read the word, I think, Lord, in some ways we are just so, so blessed, and in some ways we are so, so disadvantaged. Because some of these things that we talk about tonight, when Jesus says we're blessed if we are these things, the culture that we live in and the things we've grown used to and the comforts that we have, we take so for granted sometimes. And it's so hard to relate to what Jesus is saying. So it has to be an act, an act on our part to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to your spirit. I'm going to let you change my heart in this moment. 
If you have put your if you have and put your trust in money, we lose out on the opportunity to trust God and to see how he provides. We've received our consolation. That's what it says. Woe to you who are rich because you've received your consolation. You've got it all taken care of. You don't have the opportunity to really see what I can do, right? You've received your consolation. Those who are poor get something better. Those who are poor, Jesus says, are getting something better. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So then where are you on that spectrum, and what then is our destination? What should we be striving for as Christians, as American Christians? First of all, I would say that when we're blessed, we take inventory, first of all, of our blessings. Count your blessings, just like the song, count them. Say, Lord, thank you for this. When I go down and I put my clothes in the washer and dryer, thank you, Lord, for this washer and dryer. For weeks, you know, and it's hard, right? For weeks after I got back from Congo, I do that for everything. I mean, thank you for the heat. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for a refrigerator, all these things that I saw they didn't have. And then gradually it started to wear off, right? And I got used to it again. And I stopped thanking God for it. And I started taking it for granted. Take inventory. Take note of ways you've been blessed. Then restock, and I love the way this is put, restock the blessing by giving to others what has been given to you right? If you're good with something and somebody comes over and does your plumbing, pay it back with something good that you can do, right? Take the blessing that you've been given and give it to others. Put it in its proper place in your heart. Really quickly, there was also a couple named Steve and Grace in the Congo that had gotten married like a couple of weeks before we visited their house. They had invited the team over to their house. They had just gotten married. Um, the husband was working and also going to Bible school to be a pastor at night, and I have never felt so welcomed in a home as when we entered that place. They had been cooking all day. There were like eight of us, and they had this spread like you wouldn't believe. Everything completely from scratch, everything homemade, and it was not expecting thanks from us. They were so thankful that we could be there, right? I experienced that in action, taking inventory of what you have and blessing others with it. Because the most profound form of joy is found on the giving side of life. Make a habit of looking for ways to bless others in the ways that you've been blessed. I love a quote, and I want to share it, by Pastor Mark Batterson. He says, and listen to this, if you were truly selfish, you would be more generous. If you were truly selfish, you would be more generous. Because if you knew what was best for you, and you knew where the greatest blessings came, you would give everything away. Because you'd know that it comes in being poor, like Jesus said, being blessed, poor in spirit, that, Lord, I am not reliant upon my bank account, but I'm reliant upon you. Be more generous. True joy and happiness is found when we fully put our trust in God instead of in money. So number one was practice earthly bankruptcy. Number two, then, for the next section, embrace the hunger pains. Embrace the hunger pains. Luke chapter 6, verse 21 then says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. And then Luke 6, 25 says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Jesus is certainly speaking of those who are literally hungry, right? When you're hungry, our stomach starts growling. We look for anything to satisfy our hunger. We all have that clock inside of us that as we work, there's a certain time of day, the stomach starts grumbling. First thing we think about is I got to have something to kind of fix that hunger and take care of it. But you know, there's people that right now that are going through this incredible amount of hunger every single day and are living with those hunger pains, and Jesus is reaching out to them. And we're going to talk about a different couple of kinds of hunger. But I want to share my third story from the Congo here. I promise this is the last one. 
When we were in Congo, they actually had this thing. Uh, first of all, uh, background on Congo is that they have very little food. So we went to some of these villages on the outskirts and saw all this wilderness. And I asked the question. I said, um, what kind of animals are out here? Are you ever, ever afraid of wild animals? And they simply said, we've killed all the animals. They're all gone. We've eaten all of them, right? There's nothing left. Um, and, and it's sad. You see these markets, and they're looking for anything they can get to eat and wondering where their next meal is going to come from, truly. One thing you'll see an abundance of, though, is rice. So you'll see these big bags of rice, and rice comes cheap. And here's the key about rice. This is what they do. And we saw this firsthand. They use this rice, and they make a thing called fufu out of the rice. And what fufu basically is is taking this rice and cooking it a certain way, right, and then forming it into a ball, and I'm going to um, kind of describe it as because this is how it looked and this is how it tasted to me. Um, imagine eating a Nerf ball is what it's kind of like a little bit, right? It tastes a little bit like a Nerf ball. Those that have the means usually look for some kind of sauce to dip it in to give it some kind of flavor. But do you know why they eat fufu? Because it's loaded with carbs. And because they have these hunger pains and they eat it for breakfast, they eat it for lunch, they eat it at dinner because it makes the hunger pains go away, Right? It gives them no nourishment, it gives them no sustainment, but it fills that temporary hunger pain that they have in their stomachs. Now, Jesus will truly fill them, and they won't hunger physically anymore. But Jesus is also speaking about the hunger of our hearts, isn't he, in these verses? He's speaking about what we truly hunger for. I can't help but think that we make a lot of foo-foo in our own lives as Christians, right? Right? You know, we look for things and think about all the things as Americans that we have right at our fingertips of little nutritional value that we consume to temporarily fill the need that we feel, but that always leave us malnourished and hungry again. He says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who fill your lives up with uh, empty calories, let's call it. Things that don't make you, give you nutrition, but that you just use to fill that hunger that you feel rather than filling it with God because you will always be hungry. It will never go away and you'll be constantly living in a diet of this foo-foo. Think about how full we are as Americans, right? With our possessions, with our information, the fact that we can get any bit of information whenever we want it at any time, our entertainment, our food choices. Has anybody been in an Oreo aisle lately? Right. There's an example. It has its own aisle now at this point for all the variations of Oreos, right? Or how many have sent, spent sitting on the couch and scrolling through your streaming services looking for something to watch? You end up spending a half an hour looking at everything and you still can't decide what you want to watch because it's overload? Or how many uh, have recently navigated a Cheesecake Factory menu? <laughs> There's another one. There's another one. I've got so many things. There are so many things that can fill me in so different ways, but yet none of them truly fill me, right? There's always something missing from all of them. But how many of these things truly satisfy you? You see, Satan, the enemy, wants us distracted, and he wants us consuming empty calories, he wants us consuming things that we think fill us up, but that don't fill us up at all. And Jesus says, woe to you who are full, right? Because you'll be hungry. And blessed are you who are hungry. And hunger for me, right? Hunger for more. There's a parallel to this uh, in Matthew chapter 5. And many of you will know, I think uh, Pastor Dan mentioned it last week, about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And it may or may not be the same sermon, one that was a corollary to it, same themes through it. But Matthew puts it a different way when he recounts this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. He said, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst, what? For righteousness. 
Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So just like the moment we feel hunger and we often run to the refrigerator, right, for a snack, what's the first thing we, we turn to when we feel lonely or anxious or sad? And now we're taking account right now. What do we do? I know for me sometimes it's like if I'm nervous, I go to the refrigerator, you know. I pick up my phone. It's like one of the first things I do. You know, I got this nervous energy. I'm just scrolling things that don't do anything for me. In fact, probably make things worse, right? And the last thing sometimes I'm doing is turning to God. Learn to hunger for God. Learn to hunger for God. And it's not an act of your will. Ask God. Say, Lord, will you give me a hunger for your word? Will you give me a hunger for you? Pastor Dan spoke last week about Lent. And it can involve taking some things away, like fasting, if you will, so we can clearly focus our attention on Christ. Make that a permanent part of your life. Take account and start doing things about it. Set limits. Look at your time. Ask God to show you, like, what am I spending my time doing? How much time do I spend doing this? Those of you that have iPhones, there's a thing called screen time. You can literally see how much you've been on your phone. And it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a great picture for a lot of us as we look at it, right? Take account, ask God, what can I be better doing with my time? Do I have more opportunity to seek you in this? Are my priorities misplaced? Set those priorities and learn to forego the foo-foo and look for the things that truly nourish you. Number three then, number three, have a good cry. Number three, Jesus would say, have a good cry. Luke chapter 6, verse 21 says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And then Luke 6, 25 says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and you shall weep. The Bible tells us that Jesus was moved by compassion over and over and over again. And if you've read the four Gospels, you'll see that theme recurring constantly. Jesus is bombarded by crowds all the time. There's always something going on. There are people seeking him out. There are people coming to him with needs and waiting to hear him. And in all these circumstances, Jesus will just look out through the crowd and he'll see someone who is weeping or seeing someone who is going through something or with a physical problem. And it says he looks at them and he has compassion on them. His compassion on them. The Greek verb for to have or feel compassion, I'm going to try to pronounce this here, is splunknizomai. Splunknizomai, the verb for to have or feel compassion for. It recurs in all of the gospel texts. And the noun form refers most literally to the bowels and the guts of a person. So the verb being splunknizomai, I believe the noun is splunkniso, And we're talking about someone's bowels or guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost core. In all these instances when it says Jesus saw them and he had compassion, he felt it in his gut. It wasn't just, ah, oh, I feel bad for them. I really hope they can turn it around. You know, send somebody over to them, help them out. He saw them and he had compassion and it rocked him to his core. And he said, I've got to do something. It was what true empathy was when he saw the crowds. A deep feeling in which your feelings and your longings churn within you. And compassion was the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus throughout the Gospels. You see, Jesus is drawn to those who are weeping. Jesus is drawn to those who are weeping. 
Now, here's the thing. We're talking about Luke. We talked about themes, right? And the, the things that the author is trying to get across to his audience and the things that tell you a little bit about where the author is at. Factual events, not making up things, but choosing things that are going to reinforce what he is trying to say. You see that recurring throughout Luke. And we see it in Luke chapter 7, just one chapter later. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. It says, soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town, and behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had what? He had compassion on her. He had splunknizomai. I have to look back and look at that. He had splunknizomai in that moment. He had compassion on her. And what did he say to her? He said, don't weep. And he didn't say don't weep in a way of like, woman, you know, you're making a scene. Don't weep. Or come on, just like suck it up. You'll be okay. You know, don't worry about it. Tomorrow will be a better day. He had compassion and he comforted her in her weakness and her sadness and he said, don't weep in a way of compassion, in a way of comforting her. The same Jesus who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our despair today. He weeps with us in our despair. But then Jesus says, woe to you who laugh now. And Jesus isn't disparaging the laughter of Christ followers. I mean, I love to laugh. I love to tell jokes. I love to goof around and the whole thing. He's not saying that we can't do that, Right? But he's condemning those in this moment whose attitude is, and we've heard this before, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? So our problems come, and we just have to live it up right now and not worry about tomorrow. You know, again, this is something that is just like we see so much in our culture. I often wonder, and I think about it, we think about it in our own lives. We all do in this room. We think about eternity, right? We think about what happens when we die. And sometimes I look at people who don't see Jesus, don't know Jesus, and I think, what do they think when they think about that? How do they deal with that? And the truth of the matter is, is that if they did, they would be broken. They'd be filling up this church right now if they thought about it, right? But the thing that you tend to do when you don't want to think about something is you distract yourself with other things. And so, right, we live it up. We laugh, we drink, we're merry because tomorrow we die and we've got to do everything that we can right now. Delight in the pleasures of this world as opposed to those of the next but Jesus says this, and he's just stating facts. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, guaranteed. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And that's what he says to us when he comforts us and are weeping. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm not going anywhere. But why does it take so much to move me, right? And how can I walk past people in need and only be thinking about myself? Jesus wants us to feel and he wants us to grieve for the brokenness in our world. He wants us to see people who are lost and grieve for them and have compassion on them and care for them and we see people who are weeping and want to comfort them in those moments. Allow ourselves to be moved rather than seeking comfort in the things of the world, rather than running to the things that give us that temporary comfort. Allow yourselves to be moved. Jesus wants us to come to him for comfort, and he promises that one day every tear will be wiped away, but praise God that right now he sent us a comforter to live inside of us. Right? He said, the Holy Spirit I'm sending you is better than me because he's with you all the time. And the Holy Spirit is your comforter. So those days when it's just you're down and those days when you see the brokenness of the world and it just breaks you, tell Jesus. Tell Jesus. And he'll help you to see people through the lens of compassion, through his eyes. 
Through his spirit, Christ's own heart envelops his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. And I want to read one more quote from an author named Paul Tripp. He says, But the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward, he touches, he heals, he embraces, and he forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. He's moving toward those who are broken. He's moving toward those who are weeping. He's moving toward those who are poor and who are hungry. So where are you on this today? And again, like I said, as Americans, it's tough, right? Some of this, it's like it's easy to be distracted. It's easy to fill our time with all of these things. Where are you and where do you find comfort? And then what's your destination? Lord, will you show me? You show me tonight. Will you just help me to see people through your eyes as I go out, would I just like see this and not run from it and not say, well, hey, you know, I hope it all works out for you. I'll pray for you, right? But to do something about it, to weep for them, to show compassion for those who are hurting. And then finally, number four. Number four, we're going to see um, Jesus would say, be the unpopular kid. Jesus would say, be the unpopular kid. How many were the, uh, would, would raise their hands and say, you were an unpopular kid in high school, an unpopular kid in high school? All right, some of you. I'm leaving my hand up, you notice, right? Unpopular kid in high school. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23 says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then we move over to Luke 6, 26. And it's short and sweet. He just says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Listen again. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. So become the unpopular kid for the right reasons. And this is something I have to say and we have to warn with. Jesus isn't saying try to be hated. And I think sometimes we get this a little mixed up, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, you should go be the first to speak up and like be a jerk, right? Yell at people, argue with people, tell them you're going to hell, right? Then they'll be mad at you and they won't be around you and that's good. Then you're blessed, right? No, that's not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying. Even closer to home maybe, hey, he's not saying, hey, you should really get involved in those Facebook comments and then people might block you and then good, you're blessed, right? That is not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying. We're fortunate that we live in a place where we actually aren't persecuted to the extent some people are and this is again as I look through this, I'm just being honest myself personally. As I read these, I say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Because why do I identify more than with the latter ones than with the former? Why, why do, I, ladder more, uh, why do I, I, I relate more to the woes than with the blessed here? Because it just comes so natural. It's like so there, right? Um, we don't face the persecution that a lot of people do. I, I, um, I went to college. Uh, my, my roommate, my very first year of college, his name was Josh. And he was a missionary kid in MK. And uh, his parents were missionaries to Pakistan. I'm saying Pakistan. He always corrected me. He said, it's not Pakistan, it's Pakistan. Um, and he had experienced it quite a bit. He could grow this big full beard when he was like 17 years old. He shaved like three times a day, the whole deal. So he fit right in. They'd go over there, they'd grow the beards. And why did they do it? They did it so they could hide. Because um, if anybody knew that there was a gospel being preached or a Bible or a Bible study or anything, they would be thrown in prison and they could be killed and their families could be killed. There was a constant threat of this. 
So they used to meet in basements of rundown houses that nobody lived in anymore and just pray that God would protect them in those moments. How many can relate to that? Not so much, right? And I'm not saying it to guilt us, right? I'm saying it to say, Lord, show me what you mean here. Show me what you're talking about. But I also knew, and we have ways we can relate. I also knew a kid in my youth group when I was a kid who started coming to church, and his parents openly opposed it, and they grounded him trying to keep him away from church, and they verbally ridiculed him for believing what he did, and he faced this every single day just for choosing to believe the way that he did. The truth is being a true Christ follower and letting your thoughts and your words and your actions be molded by the word of God will often make you unpopular. It'll often make you unpopular. And you most assuredly will not always fit in. So I'm going to speak to myself as much as anyone. We have to ask ourselves, is the reason we don't really face this much because it's way more comfortable to only talk to and be around fellow believers? Ouch. <laughs> you know, I love our church. and This is my family. And I love you guys. This truly is my family. Um, I am so happy every time I get to see my family here in the house of God. And, you know, there's a tendency that I have to say, this is all I need, you know. I've, I've got everything I need right here. All my friends, everybody loves me. If I have something that I'm going through, I can, somebody will pray with me. You know, all these things, i get so many people that I can talk to. I feel like there's that commonality. But is the reason we don't really face persecution and don't face that rejection much because it's way more comfortable to only talk and be around fellow believers? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself, do I try hard to blend in? Or when I see an opportunity to share the hope I have and what Jesus has done in my life, do I stuff it down, right? That opportunity you all hear when you've got a chance, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Ah, maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe I'll just say it later. When the Holy Spirit tells me to stop and to pray for someone, do I feel embarrassed and wonder what they'll think? You know, and let the Holy Spirit be your guide. There are those moments, right, where you're just like, boy, they need something. I could pray for them right now. I could tell them that my God can touch them. He can heal them. That my God hears them. He understands their pain in this moment. But, ah, no, what if I feel stupid? What if they look at me weird? What if they reject me? What will they think? Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What's a false prophet? A false prophet is someone who tells people what they want to hear rather than the truth. He's saying, don't be a false prophet. Don't just tell everybody what they want to hear so that you'll fit in. We've all had it in a work environment, right? You know, well, hey, if, you know, if, I, if I have this conversation, if I share this, they might not include me, you know, when they go out to lunch later on or whatever, or, you know, oh, I feel embarrassed because they all want to go to the bar and they know I don't drink so they don't ask me, things like that, all these different things we run into, right, sometimes. And we feel like ashamed and not emboldened to speak out, to actually share our faith. You know, I'm so, I, there's a couple of people that come to mind that I know um, that can go into, and they're in this room, and they can go into a grocery store, and they can see someone, and they can reach out to them and start a conversation, and I can see them praying with that person, oh, Lord, that I would have that kind of boldness, that I would have that kind of boldness to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So where are you on that scale, then? And where's your destination? I would say look for God moments. Look for God moments and pray for God moments. Say, Lord, today I want that God moment. I believe that your spirit's inside of me. I believe that your spirit's speaking to me. And so when I get that sense that I'm out and I'm having a conversation with someone and you say, just pray for them, or you say, hey, share that story about that one time when you were going through something just like that and God came through for you and God was faithful. 
Share that with them. That's exactly what they need to hear right now, that we would be emboldened to say it rather than to push it down. Rather than be discouraged, you should leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven and you're not the first one that it's happened to. You're not the first one that's been rejected. In conclusion, Luke shows us this reverse kingdom, right? This reverse kingdom. And as we look at those verses that we just studied tonight, we look at the blessed and we look at the woes, and they're seemingly like in reverse. They go against our, our sinful intuition, right? What we would think in ourselves should be. It's like, well, all the things around me, everybody's telling me that, uh, that I should work really hard so that I have a good bank account and that I can have money so I can take care of things and I don't have to worry about things anymore. And when I'm hungry, I just want to fill myself up and be filled and be okay, right? But Jesus is telling us that we, we live in a reverse kingdom, that the things that we think the first, will be la- or the first will be last and the last will be first. And one of the rewards of looking at Scripture in its context is that we can begin to see clear themes throughout the Word. And we'll see this again as we close in the book of Luke to truly understand what an author like Luke is trying to convey. You see, Luke is saying when God's mercy shows up, when God's mercy shows up, nobody's get exalted to a place of honor. When God's mercy shows up, nobody's get exalted to a place of honor. The poor, the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated because of their faith are blessed. They're blessed. Let's look at this. Let's look at the thread here through Luke. Take us back to Luke one twenty-five, and many of you know the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? So they gave birth to John the Baptist. Elizabeth couldn't have a kid. And in that society and in that thing, there is very, very clear that this made them feel like outsiders in society. This made them feel like second-class citizens. They'd anguish because they couldn't have a child. Kind of like a a callback a little bit to Abraham and Sarah because they were along in life and then the angel came to them and said, you're going to give birth to this kid named John and John's going to point the way to Jesus. And Zechariah in this moment, and listen to the words that Luke uses, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people, to take that away. He's seen me, he's heard my cry. And then we move a little bit up in Luke chapter 1, and Luke talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus, the only place that this is recorded. Mary is told by the angel that she's going to give birth to a son, Jesus, who's going to be the Messiah. And she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations, and look at the words, all generations will call me blessed. Will call me blessed. Why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And then a couple verses later, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. Listen to that. Scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. And he's filled who? The hungry. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he's sent away empty. Recognize some things in that? Luke chapter 4 then, we get to Jesus. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. It says, the spirit of the Lord, Jesus said, is upon me, for he has anointed me, what? To bring good news to the poor. To bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then finally, the one we all know, Luke 13, 30, again in the book of Luke, and behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Let's pray. 
oh, Lord, we look at this, and I'm sitting here reading this again, and I'm talking about this, and I'm taking account of my life, and I'm looking at where I'm at in this whole line here of when you say some are blessed and woe to, and like I said, sometimes, Lord, when I read these words, I, I find myself falling more into the woes than into the blessed. And it's more than just about wanting something to gain. It's about the place of my heart, the eternal place of my heart, like where I stand with you. Lord, we're so thankful tonight that you have given us your Holy Spirit. We're so thankful tonight that when we say, Jesus, come into my life, will you forgive my sins? Will you make me a new creation that just in that moment you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and give us new life? And Lord, you tell us that you then give us your precious Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So Lord, when we look at these things that seem so daunting and seem so difficult and we lose hope, Lord, we know that your Spirit can do things that we can't. But Lord, it takes a little bit on our parts to listen to you. So Lord, I pray that throughout our days that we would listen to your voice, that we would practice hearing the voice of God. We would practice hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That when you tell us in a moment, Lord, when you tell us, go pray for this person, that we would go without hesitancy, that we would go and pray for someone, that we would share the good news. Lord, when you show us when we're going through our lives and you reveal to us a bad habit that we have, that maybe I'm spending a little too much time watching TV or on the internet or doing these things that maybe I could be better using this time, Lord, that we would listen to the voice of your spirit and seek after you and hunger for you. Lord, in those moments when we're given an opportunity to be generous and there's something right in front of us and that, that, that overwhelming sense of the society we live in and what we're used to comes up and says, no, you can't afford it. No, you need it for something else. No, you, all these reasons why no, whether it be mo- with money or with our time, Lord, that we would be generous. That we would be generous. Lord, that we'd remember and take inventory of what we've been blessed with and pass it on to someone else. Lord, I pray you touch our hearts tonight. Lord, that you'd speak to us. Lord, we're so grateful that we can get into this place and that we can sing praises to you. You hear us. We stand here in the presence of God. You've told us that when we are gathered here together, your presence is here also. And Lord, we feel it as we read your word tonight. Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us strength. Remind us, Lord. And we thank you that you mourn with us. We thank you that you feed us when we're hungry. We thank you, Lord, that you come for us and you comfort us in our time of need. Lord, we bless your name tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.